and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine. It's going to be a fun, fun interview. Andrew Greenwell, I've known for many years, very successful uh, individual in the real estate profession. We're going to get into his story, but Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So, Andrew, you've built this amazing real estate career. You have, in a really short period of time, you're the owner of Sotheby's International Realty in both San Francisco and the Big Island of Hawaii. But before we get into your impressive career, I want to hear about these two incredible markets. You know, San Francisco is 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 a brand, and it's sort of, uh, and the Big Island of Hawaii is so aspirational. So, for the listeners, what's the market like in these two amazing cities? Yeah, I mean they're they're so different. I mean we have the offices in the East Bay of San Francisco, and you know it's 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 a booming market with technology and all the people coming in and out. You know it, it's a it's a have to market, so people have to move there. You know we're, we we joke we sell one point four million dollar track houses, and uh, you know Hawaii is a get to market. People get to move to Hawaii, they get to buy that beach house, they get to buy that second home, and so you know I, apples and oranges. But they're both really amazing markets because of the the magnitude of the people that we're working with, um, the, the the success, the wealth, the um, just overall experience. So I love that, the have to and the get to, yep. right? And so on the get to, where are your buyers coming from? Because Hawaii, it's last time I was there was at the beginning of last year. And it seemed as though Honolulu is all Japanese. And it seems as though there are segments of international buyers coming in to various segments of Hawaii. Obviously, Hawaii is really vast. And Maui and Oahu is not the same buyer as Honolulu. So where are those buyers coming from? Because that's interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, correct. So, you know, every island has its own vibe. And right. so basically, you know, the, the communities draw certain clientele or certain people. So, for example, like Seattleites love Kauai. And yeah. LA, Orange County love Maui. Well, the Bay Area loves the Big Island. Um, 3,400 people, 3, people from the Bay Area own homes along the Kohala Coast. That's just owning homes. I mean, there's wow. thousands and thousands more of the vacation there that are aspiring to own homes or condos or, um, you know, it, it's just it, that, that one in 10 people getting off at the airport in Kona are from the Bay Area. So we, we saw that and that's what really made us jump on that opportunity. That's amazing. So it's really your feeder market. It is. Your 100%. have to is going to your get to. Well, yeah, they either retire right? there or they vacation there. So that's amazing. So tell me about that. Tell me about San Francisco. I mean, it's such a brand. We sort of see that that market is a bit more insulated where even New York has seen a correction in their market. It almost seems as though San Francisco is lagging that correction or it's not as severe. It's, you know, I, I, it, we're, we're suffering a different correction right now, which is people leaving California. And so we're seeing more and more people moving to, uh, surprisingly, I've never been there, but Eagle, Idaho is a huge feeder for us. But Nevada, Texas, Florida, you know, the no income tax states. Right. And I think there's a myth that this tax plan change um, got people to really, you know, decide to move up and get out. But it's, I think personally that it, it, what it did is it took the pipeline. If someone was going to move five years from now, they just expedited that plan. Sure. And so we're seeing an early a funnel of pipeline that's compressing of people saying, you know what, instead of three years, I'm just going to go now. And so we're seeing more people move out than in. Uh, but I think that's, that'll slow down at some point. I mean, we've even seen that here in New York, obviously, where there's a mass exodus. Even even the president has now become a yeah, Florida resident. Exactly. So it's uh, so the New York tax situation with, uh, with real estate has been somewhat compromising. So I think that that's interesting. So you've seen the same then in California as well. Yeah, you know, so I own I own Sotheby's brokerages in the two most expensive states in the country. So yeah. you know, Hawaii is only second to California. Right. Um, 
Uh, it was a smart be- move, right? Better weather, though. I mean, I personally moved to Hawaii, and I mean, it's 5% savings and income tax, but 5% is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, that must be a really interesting sort of like culture shock. It is, right? yeah. Um, Different pace. A, a little slower pace. Of yeah, I would imagine. There. I would imagine, right? Yeah, being 36 in a Taipei, we're, we're trying to get things done, but it's an uphill battle. <laughs> so, Well, you know, it could have been worse, right? It could have moved to Miami. It was Hawaii or Alaska. That's it, exactly, right. <laughs> so you started at a really early age. You started at 19, right? Yeah, 19, right after my freshman year. Oh, my God. So tell me how you got started in the industry yeah i mean I, this is way before zillow or any of the websites um i don't think realtor.com was even existing obviously homes and land is where you sell property yeah right? i remember that right so i would go around on my bike at 13 and look at houses and um you know I, I would know who lived in what house and you know how much they paid for it. and so my, my my best friend's dad was a real estate developer took me around in his car when i was he was when i was 16 because he was looking to buy a house and i knew more than the realtors did oh my gosh i was a total nerd <laughs> uh, not popular at all um by my freshman year i was really bored so i started a brokerage uh because, you know, why not just start a brokerage? You know, why not? Most people would work for one for a little while, but I just came yeah. out of the gate starting one. And I sold houses to college kids to build their credit. So in Tallahassee, Florida, Florida State, I um, had a team. We would sell houses like, you know, you could get a three-bedroom house for 100 grand. And you could rent two of those rooms out and cover your mortgage. And so right. we were building equity and credit. And, you know, from a cost perspective, it was more economical for the kids to, you know, or fellow students to buy a house. So, um which really caught on really well, which kind of led to that whole realtor magazine thing. So it's amazing, actually. Yeah. So from an early age, it was very entrepreneurial. Yeah. You know, and you found that niche. I, I never understood the concept of not working for myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I Even sk- back I then. I skipped that step. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And so now you employ how many people? Uh, so today, 140. That's insane. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Like what you've built yeah. has been great. And we're still growing, so we're really yeah. excited. And you sort of take a step back and sort of say it just started with these little sort of college things, right? Yeah. You know, the the, the business has taken me from Florida, uh, where I got started, to Seattle, Washington, to the Bay Area. Now it's the Big Island. So we're, it's, wow. it's been quite a trip. So, you know, I've known you for several years, and I had the great pleasure of knowing your family and, and your mom, who we just lost very recently, and my condolences again. Thank you. And, you know, she was an amazing woman. She was the CEO of a construction company and ran that so incredibly. And she had this spirit about her and the fact that it was sort of like, you didn't mess with her. <laughs> and so it was one of those things. Did that is that where you got it from? Is that where you sort of said... Listen, it's sort of like my family's doing this. And so, of course, I can run a brokerage at 19 years of age. <laughs> of course I can. Where yeah. did that come from? That's that's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It's, um, it's crazy, right? You're getting me all choked up. Oh. Um, you know, my mom, you know, my mom was 62 and died, yeah. died from a stroke at dinner one night um, unexpectedly. And, you know, it was she was you know, her background. You know, she was just a bookkeeper responding to a classified ad in 1977. And wow. she and two guys started this company and. Built it over the years to about a three billion dollar, um, three billion dollars in work they completed for construction, and so, um, you know. But my mom was never the kind of person who would. I was raised by a single mom. It was just she, yeah. my only child, single mom, and you know, I, I'd call her up at work and I'd say, "Your mom, I, I need milk for cereal," and she'd say, "Well, get on your bike and go to the store." <laughs> I mean, you were trying to juggle two gallons of milk on each, each handlebar, um, but you know, I think that that instilling, I mean, instilling in me that you know, if you want something, you just need to go get it done. I mean, yeah. I, and I wanted to make money at twelve, so she says, "Well, you can't get a job legally," so you. I sold Amway door to door. Did you really? Yeah, I don't think you knew that about at me. At 12? At 12. Well, oh, who, my who, God. Who, who would buy car- carpet cleaner from a 12-year-old? I mean, the, the Boy Scout thing. <laughs> but well. somebody did. Oh, yeah. I did well. I had business cards. I mean, I sold Amway. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a whole, like, downline. It was great. 
I wanted to make money. I oh mean, my, my god! My mom was very much in the. Most people get a paper route. You yeah, did. No, you I, did. I, I, I just, I, right. I think I skipped another step. <laughs> uh, I, I, maybe I'm bright. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Um, but, you know, she. You know, we didn't come from a lot of money. I mean, we. She built all of her wealth on her own, and she. There was never a plan to give it to me, and so. Um, I, I knew from very early if I wanted to make money and have nice things, I had to do it on my own. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing, and it's and you did, and you we did, did yeah. re- incredibly well, incredibly We're well. We're getting there. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, so you know, you you uh, are no stranger to the media. You were the star of Million Dollar Listing San Francisco. Uh, yeah, you chuckle at that too, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> and so. <laughs> Oh, I look terrible on TV. Okay. <laughs> Realtor Magazine had you as uh, one of the top 30 realtors in America under 30 at the time. And so uh, how did those experiences change your business? I'm assuming you're on national television. Well, actually international television because it was uh, globally syndicated. And so you're sitting there and you're now exposed to the world, right? And so how did that change your business? That you get more clients, that your clients not like you being on television. How did that affect your overall? Yeah, I mean, two very different press opportunities. Yeah. Um, when Realtor Magazine came out, uh, I was 23. And even today, I was the youngest 30 under 30 they ever had. So wow. Most were 28 and 29. So 23 was a really young, aggressive age to be named. Um, but you were already in business for four years. Right? Right, yeah, right. You were an old timer by then. I was then. seasoned by then. Right, exactly. <laughs> more than most agents at the time. Exactly. Um, you know, and I think that that was... Uh, you know, that, that really added a lot of credibility at a young age. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I think it was it was hard convincing some more luxury clients to work with me at 23 unless I, sure. had, unless I had a relationship with them. Uh, the million dollar listing thing, I was 30, oh, how old am I now? 31, 32. Um, you know, that was, there were a lot of conversations involving that. So it, it was it was not an easy one. It didn't happen overnight. Um, conversations with the brand, you know, it made sense for of all course. of us. Um, but, you know, you can't say no to an opportunity like that. And so with the good came the bad. Um, yeah. You know, you, you don't have control over how they perceive you on television. Um, you know, people walk up to me on the street and they're like, you're a jerk. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Do we date? Do I know you? I don't know you. <laughs> but, you know, the, you know, you know me. But, yes. But, you know, so, exactly. Um, but, you know, there's no such thing as bad press, right? I mean, right. well, usually there's no such thing as bad press. But Wait, who said that? I, I, don't, I don't recommend embezzling or, you know, <laughs> or money laundering. But, um, right. but you know, the show was, it, it was a good opportunity to get our, you know, we just started our brokerage in California. We just joined a brand in Sotheby's uh, late 2014. The show st- started airing in 15 and, you know, it gave us a shot in the arm that we needed. It got your brand out. It got you out there. It did. And it really sort of made you very recognizable. So it helped you grow your business, I would assume. People wanted to... Uh, conduct with you, even though they thought you were a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every, you know, it's not people want to necessarily be on the show. They but they want to be. Ryan Serhant always told me this um, in, in the New York show. He's like, yeah, but they want to be close to the show. I mean, right. so it may not mean that they want to be on an episode, but they would. You know, they want to work with the guy from the show. Or, yeah, yeah. Or at least you know, see what it was like. So from a sales business, I mean, it was it was killer. That's fantastic. Um, you know, from the brokerage side, it could be a little polarizing because you know, I uh, my my one I hired an agent one day and she jokingly walked in her first day and she goes, "I'm here to work for the asshole." <laughs> I mean, she's a great friend now, yeah. but uh, I was like, wow, okay, so uh, yeah. it's one or the other here. So and who came in the door? <laughs> yeah, it's like, apparently it was me. Oh, so, okay, got it. <laughs> so it, it was good. Uh, no regrets on that one. Oh, that's great. 
Um, so, you know, and it's, and it's so funny cause you know, I've, I've, I've known you a long time and it's, uh, it's the fact that you're the nice one. I am the nice one. And it's like, nobody knows this. And the funny thing was that the other, one of them worked for us after the show was uh, finished and the other one works for the brand now too. <laughs> so I guess everything does come full circle. That's it, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're back. <laughs> so you represent these two great cities and so there's an incredible amount of international clientele that's coming into San Francisco and Hawaii how do you cultivate that how do you sort of focus on that international buyer you know this podcast talks about global luxury so how do you focus on that you know I was in um, Shanghai recently in, in in December for the luxury property show and Everyone that was there, those Chinese buyers that are ready to 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 conduct business, they're only interested in New York, L.A., and San Francisco. That was it. Yep. And so, so that sort of buyers coming in to San Francisco, and then as we were talking briefly in Hawaii, you have a good amount of international buyers coming in as well. How do you capture those buyers? What's your game plan on capturing that? I mean, we rely heavily on the brand. Yeah, um, you know that it, it's it's crucial. I, I had an agent come up to me a month ago and said, you know, well, I I, I want a different split because I don't really see a lot of value in the brand. And I said, well, let me explain something to you. This brand is like I said, you know, I, I was at a previous company before, and it was like driving a Cadillac. And the Cadillac's a great car; it gets you from A to B. It's comfortable, you know, no complaints there. Being with Sotheby's International Realty is like having a Bentley. But here's yeah. the here's the catch: if you leave it in the garage and you don't drive it. What's the point of owning it? Because you're paying for it, I love and, that. and you have it, and the, the car's been the car was built to be driven. I mean, it, yeah. it's a driving it's a driving machine, right? So if you, if you don't take it out for a spin and, and you know around the neighborhood at least, so people can like see it and do it and experience it, if they can't if you can't experience the Bentley, if you can't experience Sotheby's, then you know there's, there's no there's no point of being there, right? So um, I think it came around on that. I, I made it up. I actually came up with that as we were talking. I, I think it resonated a little bit. <laughs> no, I think I, I love that analogy. It really is true, right? It's, what, what's the point of owning it? <laughs> right, exactly. You have to let people know that you're there, right? Yeah. And so, so how do you let people know that you're there? So You know, it's a global brand. You're absolutely right, right? So it's a global network, 72 countries. It's the idea that you're interconnected. They all have, it, it's all a direct franchise model, which means that all of the owners pretty much know each other or there is a way to get in touch with another owner of, from another country. So you use the network. How else do you attract these buyers? I mean, it's really getting out there. I mean, we go to the Hong Kong auction every yep. year. Um, you know, we, we sold a $12.3 million house last time we went purely wow. from the Hong Kong auction. You amazing. Know, and you know, what a lot of people say as well, you know, we went to Hong Kong and we didn't get any buyers. And I said, it's not about necessarily being there it's about saying you're going and saying you've been right you know other other companies can't do that they don't have those opportunities right um to say you know i, I take the effort to travel to china to go to paris to rome to these these events these conferences to expose property um you know that's one thing that we offer that no one else can and back to the same thing if you don't drive the car if you don't utilize yep. the, the networking opportunities or the you know the the, the availability um, and the other side of it is just making sure that all of our properties because you know the, the brand's done a good job of keeping the consistency of high caliber agents mm -hmm. so that's the, that's the nice thing for, for, different from where my previous company was um, but you know we have to make sure all the properties are marketed in the utmost way of you know exposure and so by keeping that consistent um, it helps you know draw all the clients in 
And you know, you, it's also targeted marketing. It's also understanding where your buyers are coming from. So you're looking at San Francisco as a very global city, but you know that they're coming from Asia. So you're investing the time to go there for them to see you personally. And you conducted a $12 million uh, purchase while you were overseas. Yep. So things like that are somewhat of the best practices, if you will. So it could be that the person who says, I didn't get anything from Hong Kong, they could have been from Kansas, right? And so that's probably not the best uh, uh, marketing group to go to for your home in Kansas. I don't know that it was or not, but you need to sort of understand where your buyers are coming from to have strategic marketing skills. You're, well, I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, I always say in the absence of education, all you have is assumptions, right? So, right. I mean, you know, happens when you assume things. Yeah. So, you know, just diving into some analytics briefly, you know, uh, majority of international buyers in the Bay Area are Chinese versus Hawaii, which are Japanese. There you go. And those are two totally different, as you know, two totally different cultures. I mean, I'll never forget when we moved to, the, we, we took the company over in Hawaii and these really wealthy the Japanese buyers show up and my, my agent's in the front seat and they, husband and wife jump in the back seat. And I'm like, well, why aren't one of them in the front seat? That's kind of weird. And, no, no, that's cultural. cultural. I mean, yeah. and knowing that cultural difference, because, you know, you, you, Asia is a huge continent. Sure. Many different cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Did, Chinese, Japanese, two different buyer sets. And, 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 and even getting into, like, Indonesia, Malaysia, yeah. it's sort of like, you know, the, the Taiwanese is very different than the Hong Kongese. Uh -huh. You know, it's, it's, it's incredibly different how those cultures and the nuances, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, you know? it's, been a, it's been a learning experience. Yeah, I bet. I bet it was. <laughs> Coming from Florida, a big one. <laughs> yeah. So you did something else, going back to your show for a second. You did something else on the show uh, on your personal life. Oh, yeah. Where you actually uh, proposed to your now husband mm -hmm. uh, in on national television. Yeah. And so how do you balance that work-life balance? You know, you have homes in, in, in Florida in San Francisco, in Hawaii. And so tell me how that balance works because you work very tirelessly. You know, you are here in New York now for some meetings and you're here for 48 hours and you're off again to your next destination. It's like, you're very focused. It's one of the, I love your ambition. You know, I love who you are, Andrew. And it's sort of like, how do you balance your life and your work? Because you work very hard, but you also enjoy life. Yeah, we do. I mean, I... Uh... To the point in my almost criticism sometimes we really do really do enjoy life uh, i was jo i was joking and almost sad with myself on the plane here because i realized i'm gonna hit my status for the airline by the end of january i'm like that's just pathetic um people think it's, people think it's glamorous i'm like no when you start knowing it's the flight, tiring when you start knowing the flight attendants you're like this is not, yeah. this is not a good thing uh-huh but basically you know we the balance is an issue um because you know running the companies you know it's, it's such a people-based business I mean, yeah we don't own assets i mean we don't own until our pro our our assets are our people and so it's being in front of them and you know my job doesn't mean that i can just go home and you know read a book all day long and not be in the front of everybody right if you're not in front of your agents you know they're not gonna know you're around and so um you know we, we try to balance it with them traveling with us or you know spending as much time with them as possible but it is tricky. I mean, there'll be months where you, you find your life out of balance. Um, I'd say that this month's a little out of balance because right. we're going on and all the you know 12-hour flights. But um, next month, we're planning some balance. Well, that's I, good. I, 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 think, I, I think anybody who can say that their life is balanced 365 days a year, I would challenge that. I, I would too. I think you need to recalibrate, right? And yeah, sort of exactly. like and be cognizant of the fact of, 
okay, I've been working way too hard. I haven't been spending enough time with my partner. And sort of like, so we need to sort of come back and readjust the timing. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I think you have to have those checkups and you have to yeah. focus on making sure that you're doing it. Because if you don't, it'll get out of control. I mean, you're, not just your relationships, but your health. I mean, like, like last year was a bad year for us health wise because we were just, you know, we bought the company, we bought another house and moved partially. And so, you know, we had to sit there and go, wait a minute, this is not working we got yeah. reset <laughs> I, call, I call it a reset <laughs> and you know and it's sort of like everybody thinks that those trips are glamorous but it, it's a toll on the body you know well, i mean what do we do like post pictures of food i mean like <laughs> i mean like oh i had fettuccine for dinner it's like i mean you say, right. oh, i'm going to new york for yeah i guess i'm going to new york for an eight-hour meeting i mean i'm going to new york so yeah, like, exactly. I, I try to make it somewhat interesting but like people are like oh you're going to new york i'm like, i guess it's all fun and games <laughs> exactly you know it was like in december i had like the worst december i had Four 17-hour flights within three weeks, which is ridiculous. So I went to Cape Town and came back, went to Shanghai, came back. And so it was the most, it was like at the end of it, everyone's like, oh my God, it's so glamorous. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not. My back is out. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. You're scheduling a weekly massage shirt. <laughs> it's like, no. I do that. It doesn't. It's like the body's not supposed to do that. Exactly. Flight attendants don't do that. No, they don't. It's like, Remember, yeah. you're cocktailing the whole time anyways. <laughs> so tell me. The culture that you create in your brokerage, because it's got to be, you know, I know you as a friend, I know you as a great professional, and, you know, you and I always have fun, and you create a really great atmosphere that's really welcoming, and people come in and they trust you, but you also had the persona where people sort of sometimes are afraid of you, right? <laughs> and so you actually do, do sort of keep some people at bay. Is that on purpose? Is that just, you're just deeply misunderstood? What's <laughs> always, going on always, here? Always misunderstood. <laughs> That's why I keep telling myself everything. That's exactly right. Um, no, I think that, I, I don't think I know. Um, when we set out to build our company, we knew that we were building a company to own, not to sell. Yeah. I mean, so it, we looked at it saying, you know, how can we build something that you want to keep? Because right. I, I think there's, and I challenge everybody who's looking at either moving brokerages or starting a brokerage or buying a brokerage or just working for one, yeah. Um, you know, really assess what the owner's intentions are. Because, mm. you know, I, I've, I've looked at buying or acquiring companies and they, they, those were built to be sold. So the culture is completely different than one that was built to be had as a family. So we have a very family-focused, um, you know, we, we, we run a good-sized company, but it's very family-focused. And I, I'll tell you the story that really was eye-opening to me. We bought Hawaii and had this big kickoff event down there in June. And I had six or eight of our agents come down from California and I said, I need you guys to be there because I want you, them to understand, you know, what we, how we do things or, you know, how we are. Yeah. Close yeah, to culture. Um, yeah, yeah. Culture. So three days in, I'm sitting there having drinks with our California crew and they go, you know, this is just amazing. We, we didn't realize how like, you know, special we have it up in California, how we, we like to travel together and we're all friends and we go to happy hours. And I'm like, I've been trying to tell you this for years <laughs> and you did not listen to me. <laughs> I had to buy a company so you could figure it out. <laughs> And then, you know, and, and then on the reverse side, the Hawaii agents are going, oh, my God, the California agents are so amazing. They, like, love each other. And they're, like, you know, so happy. And I'm, like, and so we've been, we've actually built that in Hawaii now. It's taken nine months or so to really, you know, I kind of almost forced them in the beginning. I'm, like, you're going to Thirsty Thursday. You're going to have drinks together and you're going to like it. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't hang out. They, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't go to lunches together. They wouldn't. They were busy. Everyone's busy, right? But sure. you, know, you have to support each other and you have to. You know, everyone has a bad, this business, you know, every day, everyone has a bad day sometime, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, we, without that culture, without that, um, that is our biggest asset. I mean, that's, our, that's the only thing we really have going for us at the end of the day. That also builds retention, you know, so to think about it, it's, a, it's the idea that people want to work where they enjoy going. 
right? And that's that's a big part of it. It's you know obviously your your comp and everything else, but you want to you want to be someplace that you enjoy going to. Well, they also you know. As you know and everyone knows, there's been a massive amount of consolidation in the Absolutely. industry in the last few years. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's scary. I mean, you know, yeah. in my market, one of my markets in the East Bay, you know, I had seven competitors two, three years ago. And now it's just me and the other one. Right. And so it's, I think it's great because, you know, we, we differentiate ourselves you know, versus the amount of agents they have in ours. Um, but I think our agents want to know that they're working for a company that's not going to be sold. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, and that's they, huge. I mean, I, they come up to me and I, 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 I have to remind myself, you know, I have to remind myself to remind them that we're not selling, like that we're not going anywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm 36 years old. So I, I, if I retired, my husband would kill me. I, I, um, I, <laughs> well, you can't retire. You keep buying out your partners. I do. So, yeah, you're so now I, you're so 100% now, owner again. I have no right. So that's it. You're, yeah. It's you. <laughs> yeah, so you have nowhere to go. <laughs> I know, and I'm, I'm kind of on the hook now for everything. <laughs> exactly, right, exactly. So, But, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's, it, it's important to, uh, for them to know that, you know, we are building this to keep it. Yeah, so. and that's a great thing because somebody wants to know that from their point of view, and I think that that's important, Andrew, it's the idea that you step into the other side of the conversation, right? What are the concerns that your agents are having? Will this company be sold? Will this company be acquired by somebody else? Who am I going to be working for tomorrow? And the idea that you put them at ease is actually something where your retention also goes through the roof with things like that. Every single person in this industry has a friend or and probably a lot of friends who walked into their office in the last 24 or 36 months and it wasn't there. 100%. I mean, the office was there, but the sign, the sign was different. Right. The, the signs were different. Everything was different. And, and you didn't know. And, and you feel betrayed. Right. I mean... I mean I have friends who turned down offers to go to another company to find out three months later the owner sold out and took the money they would have gotten, right? Right. And so, you know, there's a lot of feel of betrayal right now that, you know, well, we, we're going to stick around because we're loyal to the owner and then come to find it, well, I guess the owner that the owner wasn't, wasn't right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, we're, we're not a sellout. Yeah, so, no, I love that. Yeah. So tell me the greatest lesson that you've learned from one of your failures. You can start as early back as 13 with Amway. <laughs> Tell me one of the greatest lessons you've learned yes. from one of your failures. Don't sell carpet cleaner. Uh, no. Um, you know, I, we went really big in uh, my first brokerage. We, you know, media and it, it was, it, there was no red light, green light on expenses. You know, I, I thought that we had to do big splashes. We had to, um, we had to do. We had. We said we had to spend as much money as we could getting exposure out, right? And it this is your first company. My first company, and it Got bankrupted. It. it bankrupted me. Uh, wow. Um, Eleven years ago, yeah. Wow. Completely flat broke, bankrupt, done. Uh, I had to steal toilet paper from my building's bathroom because I couldn't afford toilet paper. Oh my gosh, it was pretty bad. Wow, um, that's a very humbling. It's, experience. it's actually quite funny though. I'll tell you that I'm at the bankruptcy court, and the judge goes, "Well, you can keep the brokerage. That's not worth anything." <laughs> so the only thing they let me keep was the about the company because there's not no value in it in 2009. <clears throat> that's that's kind of scary. Um, <laughs> no one wants to deal with this, so you you keep it. <laughs> and we kept it. But we now kept... we, now look where you are. I mean, yes, it's amazing, that, right? That company did really well. Um, has done really well. And you know we um, you know it, it's it's checks and balance on you know expenses and making sure that we're not you know that we're staying ahead of it because yeah. you know, when the market started to shift in California over the last twelve months, well, it hasn't shifted as fast as other markets. We saw that coming, and we we started making preparations that you know we need to adjust. I think a lot of people get stuck holding the bag and they're, it's too late sure. to, to trim or to realign because um, they basically wait till it's the 11th hour and there is no money. And right. You start cutting, you're not cut, you can't cut fast enough. Yeah. Well, that's a great that's, lesson, actually. That's yeah. something that really resonates because it's, uh, it, it snuck up on everyone in 2007. Whether right? you're in sales or you own a company, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the same for sales professionals. I mean, if you're 
doing a $75,000 year media spend and your business is down by half, you need to stay ahead of that and look at that. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me something somebody <clears throat> doesn't know about you. Ha! <laughs> well, probably the bankruptcy thing. I don't really tell that, people that. No, I know. I, I didn't know, know, I didn't know that. I, I wasn't planning for it. Yeah. I, I didn't I, know that. No one knows about that. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that candor. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I... I uh, yeah. I'm, after being on television, it's been pretty transparent. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. But probably even Bravo didn't catch that one. No, no. We, they, they want us to seem super successful. They don't really talk about Yeah, right. But, you know, but, the, but, but that's the greatest lesson, right? Where you sort of come in and that there's no greater lesson of humility, right? When you sort of come in and it's sort of like everything's gone. And at that point, it's like, who are you made of, right? It goes back to those lessons that, you're, that your mother sort of like instilled in you and sort of said, okay, you know, it's sort of like, what do I need to do? I need to go sort of like ride my bike to the store and get those two gallons of milk and sort of figure out how to sort of, you know, sort of balance myself and get back home in one piece. And in, 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 in another way, it's sort of like, okay, everything is gone. It's like, uh, here's the only thing that you, that you can keep is the brokerage. All right, what do I have left? I have the brokerage. It's, 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 it's you know, it does not worth anything now. Okay, great. So let's make it worth something because that's what I need. And, you know, and it was something where that spirit that you have is just so beautiful to see it. It's infectious. And, you know, it's the idea of your ambition and it's just your, your drive is a beautiful thing to witness. Yeah, I mean the resilience thing. It's um, there was no, there were no options. I mean, I yeah. we were sitting in our ten thousand square foot space in 2000, 2009 that we'd built out, starting in '08, which seemed like a really good idea in March, and it was a really terrible idea by October. And I mean, we really play like Russian roulette with the bills. Like, okay, we'll we'll pay that one. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll pay that one. I mean, and, right. I mean, but there, my business partner and I, there were there wasn't an option. It just was. It, we never once thought about throwing in the towel because right. I mean, first and foremost, we cared about our people. We promised him that we you know do this, and we went into some substantial debt trying to get you know. Can imagine, and a lot of my colleagues, we can resonate with that as well. You know, that was really hard for broker owners to really get through. Yeah. Um, but you know, failure wasn't an option. That's it. Yeah. It's amazing. If you weren't doing real estate, what would you be doing? <laughs> Not selling Amway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I. I I joke. I said, if I ever got a real estate, I'd just run a tiki bar down in Florida. I, I think I really. That's excel, kind of fun. I really excel at that. That's um, kind of fun. Yeah, but you drink just, your profits. I drink. I drink all my profits. <laughs> uh, maybe do kayak rentals instead. No, I, I, I don't know if I could do anything differently. It's it's funny. I was thinking I about that. that on the plane out here this morning, and I was like, I, I, uh, it's just in my blood. You know, it's funny because I, I, I came from a construction family, not a real estate family. Yeah, but related. Related. Yeah, right. We built commercial sure. buildings, you know, yep. stadiums, jails, you know, really boring stuff. Yeah. Uh, my mom was like, Stadiums and jails. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like hospitals, you know, ooh, sexy. <laughs> like, this is really fun. Look, another assisted living facility, mom. This is great. Uh, <laughs> can't you build something cool? <laughs> no, she built some cool stuff. But, she um, did stadiums and jails. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, me, the big sports guy. <laughs> big felon over here. Um, no, you know, I just, I think when you're passionate about something, you can find that. Um, way to capitalize on it, and yeah, and and, des- and it, it, I always say that we designed a life purely by our own design. Sure, and um, yeah, I mean we do have a, we have houses in Florida. You know, we we're always bouncing around, and people say, "How do you do it?" And I'm like, you know what? But that, that I designed that life, and that's yeah, the life that's I it. wanted. Do I choose to be on the plane six hours? You know, every other week? Yeah, I choose that. That's my choice. Yeah. Um, and with the good comes the bad. But you know, that's that's the way my husband and I wanted it to be, which was you know. My dad died at 42 from a heart attack. My mom at 62 from a stroke. And, you know, I'm not going to... What's the point of having all this money and doing all this work if we can't enjoy it? That's it. So. That is so, that's such a great <clears throat> lesson, right? It's the idea that, 
you are the master of, of your own future and your own destiny. And you've created that and you've penned that. And that actually gives you an amazing amount of power to sort of see, you know, you 2009, you were at one situation and now it's like, you know, you're, you're polar opposite where you have, you know, homes in, you know, yeah. in three amazing locations around the world. And you have a very different lifestyle, right? You've been on television, you've had your own show, you've had, you know, you've had your, your, your fame. And so your life is so vastly different, but that was all you. It was all very conscious of what you wanted to accomplish and create. And I think that's a really powerful message that it was done so deliberately. You know, I'll, I'll leave it on this because I think this is actually a great way to say one thing that people don't know about me is because someone asked me, actually my uncle asked me a few weeks ago, he goes, what's your five-year plan? And I said, I don't believe in five-year plans. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, I don't really believe in one-year plans. Mm. I mean, we bought Hawaii. <clears throat> I was having breakfast with Dodie MacArthur who owned the company for 42 years and I had a meeting in LA and she goes, I need to you know, figure out a retirement plan and sell my company. And I'm like, okay, great. Good to see you. Bye. Going through security at the airport going, wait, did she say she wanted to sell her company? And you know, within 363 days later to the T we closed on the purchase and, you know, launched in Hawaii. I mean, if you would have said to me a year ago, Hey, you're going to be living in Hawaii on the big island. I'm like, no, yeah, not moving to Hawaii. Right. And you not know, leaving and San not, Francisco. not only moving to Hawaii, but loving Hawaii and yeah. loving the people down there. And so, you know, and I, I say that because if I have so many friends who are like, well, in five years, I'm going to have this and this and this. But, you know, life throws you so many opportunities. And if you're out there and you put yourself out there and you're, uh, you know, working, whatever you're working, I mean, you, I feel like when you have these big plans, you have blinders on. Sure. And, 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 you know, if, if I would have said, well, I'm going to grow my California operations, I'm going to, you know, grow to these markets. And then, you know, I would have completely turned my back on Hawaii yeah. and never thought about it. And then, you know, because I didn't fit my plan. Right. I wouldn't have had this amazing group, amazing opportunity down there. And so I, I just try to, every single morning we wake up and we look at every opportunity that's given to us, whether it's, you know, breakfast or yeah. a company or a, a great human yeah. to come work for us. And uh, that's kind of how we approach every single day at our, where we are. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it is, it is life, right? It's sort of like it's, it's responding to what the universe wants to deliver to you. Yeah. And you're sitting there and you're actually open to that as a listener and sort of saying, sure, bring it on. And so it'll sort of like, you'll figure out how to fit it in, but it's the idea of that. So it's interesting though, that three, five year plan, but so it, it'll get me to my, to my final question with you, Andrew, what do you want your legacy to be? Yeah. So that's been a big discussion. Um, cause I'm helping craft my mom's legacy cause yeah. you know, she didn't have time to really finish it out. Um, and we're trying to do that for her, um, after death. You know, and, and it obviously puts your thought in your head, like, you know, what do you want to leave behind? You know, sure. I, I, don't, I don't have kids. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I have two very spoiled dogs. Right. But, you know, you know the, but legacy-wise, it's not, it has nothing to do with money or power. Um, I just really hope that our culture will continue and that mm. the culture we've instilled in our people across whatever office, state, you know, co uh, division of the company that that trickles down and then it filters through either their personal lives or the organizations they're running because we really focused everything on our people and, 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 you know, together we all achieve more in that, in this collaborative environment. And so, um, I can't capitalize on it. I can't monetize it. I can't, I, it's hard to, yeah. it's, it's hard to explain it. Sure. Um, and I just hope that even when I'm gone, that that will continue on. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. You know, I always enjoy this, this, uh, setup of this, of this podcast because I've had many of my friends on the show and it's always the idea that when we speak, you know, you, you know, you, you know, somebody for years, but it's really, 
you're in a work environment or you're just having dinner socially. And, you know, we never really get to questions that are just really as 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 moving as these. And so for me, it's really an, an honor for for me to be able to uh, enjoy my friend's company and, and understand them on a deeper level. So I really appreciate the candor and, and, and the conversation today, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fantastic. This is great. So. Thank you. And thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thank you very much. <laughs>